Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us again this week as we try to study some of your questions that you've given us over the past few weeks. And that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions See a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. And we'd like to know what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we found the best way to get people interested in the Bible and answer people's questions that they're wondering about is to just let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And that's what we do. We uh, take your questions and get to them just as quickly as we can. Uh, very detailed Bible questions or life questions or uh, family questions, see what the Bible has to say about it. Just about anything you can think of, the Bible has a principle on it. And we'd be happy to try to point that out to you and help you know your Bible a little bit better. That's what we do. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Leverings back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm glad you're here and ready to go on some of these good questions. I always start with one for our viewing audience. Make sure they're up on their trivia. Uh, this one's from the Old Testament back in Joseph and Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream and Joseph interpreted it for him. How many cows were in the famous dream with cows? And we've got a little cattle question there, see how they do. And uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know about the cattle. All right, I think you drew the first one today, so get us started. Yes, we? sir. A viewer asked the question, what is Ash Wednesday about? Well, uh, perhaps uh, I think we had a picture on the screen of of someone who uh, has a uh, ashen cross on their forehead that has been applied and it's usually on a Wednesday. Some churches hold what they call Ash Wednesday services. And uh, you may wonder, well, what is all about what that about and what does that mean and where is it found in the Bible? Uh, Ash Wednesday is the first day of a 40-day period uh, before Easter, and that's known as Lent. And uh, Lent is a 40-day period that's basically a time of prayer, uh, dedicated fasting, and, and repentance is what it's supposed to be about. You might hear a friend or a coworker or neighbor say, I'm giving up uh, this or that for Lent. And so that's what that uh, time is about. It's the time preceding Easter during some Ash Wednesday services. Churches that observe that or celebrate that, uh, they will take the palm branches from last year's Palm Sunday and uh, burn those and the ashes they will use and they will imprint the cross on their forehead as a reminder of the uh, uh, promise that they've made and of the, the time of dedication that they're observing. <clears throat> so what you need to know is not all uh, Christian churches or churches observe or celebrate, recognize uh, Ash Wednesday. The Bible doesn't mention Ash Wednesday or the custom of Lent. That's a, a man-made tradition that's kind of come out. And, uh, you might ask, well, is it okay to celebrate that? Well, 
I, I personally don't see any harm in it. I, I think it's fine if you want to observe that way and, and uh, take a special time of, of giving up something and dedication. I, I suppose that's okay. Uh, the danger is what Jesus warned about uh, whenever you're doing religious types of activities uh, to reinforce your faith. Uh, the danger is always that it becomes about the outward rather than the inward. It becomes uh, just following the crowd and doing what everyone else is doing. It, it becomes an uh, outward show without any inward significance. Uh, Matthew ch chapter 6, we're not going to show it on the screen, but if you would be interested, you should read where Jesus talked about prayer and fasting uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And in both of those uh, sections of Scripture, he said very clearly that when you do go to pray, don't make a show of it. Don't make a, a long babbling words and do it just to be seen. Uh, or you've already received your reward in full. But when you do it, do it in private because your father wants a, a real relationship with you. Uh, he said when you fast, don't do it to, to get the attention and the glory. Uh, do it where it's meaningful and go ahead and wash your face and nobody should be able to tell but God. Uh, and that's the important part about it. So if you decide to celebrate that, uh, I am supposing that's fine. Uh, just make sure that you truly understand the meaning of it and pay attention to the inward. That's way more important than the outward. The Apostle Paul addressed special days uh, and uh, special kinds of celebrations. And Christians have always kind of back and forth, should we celebrate this or not? Here's what he said in Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers each day, every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to the God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. So uh, that's what Ash Wednesday is about. And if you choose to celebrate and acknowledge it, then uh, you can uh, take that uh, precaution, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I heard you mention, but let's point out for our viewers that yeah, Ash Wednesday is not in the Bible. Correct. Yes, we yeah, did I, say that. I, yeah. I didn't know yeah. if you said that or not, yep. but it's a man-made yep. ceremony and yep. it's good for a lot of things probably, yep. but uh, it's not found in the Bible. Yeah, that's why some churches observe, yep. some don't. So, <laughs> All righty. All right, viewer wants to know about uh, Luke 14.26. Please explain Luke 14.26 about hating your family. Well, it sounds like a strange Bible topic, doesn't it? But it's actually in there. And Luke 14.26, let's just read it. Jesus said, uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, I can see why somebody would ask about that. Uh, if I was investigating Christianity and <laughs> picked up the Bible and that's the first verse I read, I'd be done. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, well, that's it. If they, they want me to hate my family, I'm, I, I can't qualify for that religion. But uh, before you quit completely, uh, study a little bit. Sometimes another account or another translation uh, will shed a little light on a verse like that, and that's the case here, uh, even in the translations that do have hate in there. If you go over to Matthew 10, verse 37, it says it a little bit differently. Uh, same uh, incident, same time Jesus talking, but he says this time, or the translator said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. Okay, so instead of using hate, he uses the word love more, and it indicates that he, what he was talking about is a comparative degree of love. He didn't really mean hate, hate. He meant love less. You've got to love them less than me, or I've got to be first priority is really what he was saying. So, when you read that passage in Matthew 10, 37, it makes it a little bit more reasonable. And what he was saying was, if you're coming to me, if you want to be my disciple, I've got to be the number one priority in your life. If your father and mother don't want you to be a Christian, then you've still got to make the choice and love them more than me. If you're any relation you have wants to keep you from being a Christian, you've got to love me more than them. So that makes it a little more reasonable, I think, a lot more reasonable. Another thing about something like that, when you read a verse like that, if it just doesn't sound right. Uh, in this case, Jesus, who's all about love, everything we know about Jesus is how much He loved people and God loved us, and that's all He talked about. And so you find a verse that He says, you got to hate people. It doesn't sound right. So do some study, investigate, and uh, you'll find the answer pretty clearly. So that's what He was talking about there. Well, and even, I mean, Jesus' example of loving His mother and taking care of her, even on the right. cross, looking after her, you know, He clearly had love and concern for his family, but he also had priorities too. So, good question. Okay, your turn. Alright, next question is, <clears throat> what can be done today to prevent teen pregnancies and suicide? Well, uh, I'm my official title is a youth minister, and so uh, we deal in that world quite a bit. And uh, it's a sad tragedy. It's uh, It's been increasing over the years. Uh, we've kind of been in a down, downward uh, statistically uh, on the number of teen pregnancies, so that's good news. But of course it's still higher than we like. Uh, I'm not for sure that it will ever be completely remedied. Uh, I think that's part of just living in a broken world, that we're going to have to deal with sin and its consequences. Uh, but if you're asking from a practical standpoint, what can you do? Well, I think the first thing is that consider the, the family uh, as the, the key preventative measure. Uh, nearly all the research um, that I've read uh, outside of the Bible uh, is clear that mothers and fathers uh, have a key foundational support to the health and self-esteem and uh, found it's, it's primary uh, in a child's life. And if you get that right, most of the time uh, you can then begin to uh, make uh, some changes and some teaching and some guidance in a young person's life that will keep them away from those paths. Uh, as far as teen pregnancy, first thing I would do is, even from a very young age, is, is talk to children and teach them to respect themselves and to, uh, that God made their bodies special and that they are to, to uh, treat it with a level of respect and privacy. Uh, you know, as a husband and wife, you model the good behavior. You, you know, dads, you show your children how to love their mom. And moms, you show your uh, children how to respect and honor and love your father. And those are important and good things. Uh, I think as the child gets older, setting healthy boundaries is very, very important. If you tell a child uh, as a teenager that they have to be in by a certain hour and that they're, you know, maybe not to date 
isolated, but just to be with a group of people, uh, know the people that they're with, know the families that those people come from. Yep, that takes some work. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but I see better results more often uh, from the children in the lives of children whose parents take the time and make the effort and take parenting seriously. It's a big job. Uh, of course, uh, biblically speaking, abstinence is the best and first plan. It's uh, the way that uh, we should, what we should encourage in our children. We should tell them from a young age that we get married first and, and then we have babies. Um, and that's not to speak uh, uh, in a despairing way about those who are single moms or single dads. Uh, obviously, those things happen. But I've talked to a number of single moms and single dads, and they would say, if I could do it over again, <laughs> I would do it God's way. And so it's important to encourage the good behavior and, and don't encourage the bad behavior. Uh, you got to correct it. You see some things where your child's getting out of line, they're dressing inappropriately, they're treating uh, someone of the opposite gender inappropriately, get in there, correct it, and counsel them. The other side of that is teen suicide. Again, I think family is key. Children need a lot of love and discipline, encouragement. Uh, they need a lot of counsel and instruction. And I think helping uh, them in those ways will help understand even in the best family situations, there are still tragedies that occur. So uh, these are general rules and principles, and I hope that they will help you. If you're struggling with depression or your child is, don't isolate yourself. Uh, you know, get off the phone and, you know, get away from this and, and interact with some people and get into with some good Christian counseling. Find a group maybe like Celebrate Recovery that would be a good help to kind of get some of the stuff that's on the inside worked out and uh, deal with the hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So those are some examples. If, uh, uh, some biblical uh, counsel, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I'll say one last word, and that is if you don't have a child at home, you're a grandparent or an older person, you can still have a great deal of positive influence. Get involved in the lives of young people uh, at your church. <laughs> mentor them. Build a relationship with them. Uh, work with them. Uh, all it takes is to be a person who loves the Lord and who loves young people. And I think that's a great thing. So right. don't be discouraged. Good advice. Tough question. Yep. But uh, people worry about <laughs> yep. that and we all It do. is. Sure. Good thing. All right, let's take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible in your home. We like to study it with you here on Know Your Bible, but we've got some free Bible study materials that we'll be happy to send you, and they are definitely free. We don't uh, charge for them. We don't ask for money. We don't put your name on a mailing list. We don't bother you in any way. We just keep sending the studies as long as you want to study. Uh, there are eight in this first series you see on the screen now. Very simple, basic Bible study. A uh, good overview of the Bible helps you get familiar with the two big parts of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, uh, and then goes into some other topics. Then once you complete this one, uh, we'll get you a handsome certificate that we uh, honor your accomplishment. And then we'll ha have some other courses available that uh, are a little more advanced and go into a little more detail about different parts of the Bible. And a lot of folks keep studying Know Your Bible keep studying the Bible uh, with Know Your Bible study tools for a long time and uh, we're happy to provide that free of charge. So phone number, website on the screen, use that and get in touch with us and we'll get you started. 
All right, viewer wants to know about instrumental music, and the way he asked it is, what scripture backs the Church of Christ to not use instruments in worship? Uh, if you watch this show very long, you know that uh, Churches of Christ sing a cappella. Uh, it's without instrumental accompaniment. The word technically means church music or chapel music because that's the way uh, the Christians sang for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and then instruments were added much, much later and actually helped divide the church. So uh, this viewer says, well, what scripture backs you not using instrumental music? Well, let's look at Ephesians 5.19. I think it's a one that would do that. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Sing and make music in your hearts. Doesn't say anything about instrumental music there, so we sing. That's what the Bible says to do. That's what we do. Colossians 3.16, it's almost exactly the same. Well, I know our viewer right now is saying, hold it now. I didn't ask for one that said to sing. I asked for a verse that told you not to use instrumental music. Well, there's not a verse like that in the Bible. But this exposes the two different philosophies of reading the Bible, two different ways to think about Holy Scriptures. And uh, that's where the viewer and us have a discrepancy. Uh, this viewer is looking at it and saying, well, you've got to show me a verse that says you can't or you shouldn't. Well, that's not the way we think about the Bible. Uh, personally, I think we think about it in a little more mature way, uh, the way even this viewer would realize is a mature, grown-up way instead of a childish way. Let me tell you a little story here. Suppose a young person, parents tell him we're going to be gone on Friday night, and he says, can I have somebody over? Uh, well, yeah, you can, you can have Charlie over. Charlie can come over. Okay. Well, you get home, and the house is in a shambles, and you say, who in the world was here? Well, I had Charlie, and I had Sam, and I had David, and I had Chris, and I had Toby, and I had all these people over. Well, we didn't tell you you could have them. Well, you didn't tell me I couldn't. A parent wouldn't go for that, would they? Uh, see, a mature person thinks, <laughs> no, if I tell you, that's what I authorized. I authorized Charlie. That's all I authorized. Well, see, that's the way we think about the Bible. We think God said to sing, so we're authorized to sing. Uh, he didn't tell us not to do a whole lot of things. Uh, you know, he didn't tell us to not set up a merry-go-round the, on the stage and have a carnival during church. Uh, but we don't do it because he didn't authorize us to do that. So that's the, what I wanted to point out on this. It's not about a verse that says not to. It's about the philosophy of reading the Bible. Uh, we call that the silence of the Scriptures has some kind of power, has some kind of authority. Uh, when God doesn't tell us to do something, we don't do it. So hope that explains why we don't need a verse to tell us not to. <laughs> why was I at this party? Why was I, why was I drug into this? <laughs> yeah. I was running out of names. <laughs> okay. All right. The next question is, uh, viewer wants to know, what does Judges 16, 17 mean? And he quotes from that verse, being a Nazarite from my mother's womb. All right. Well, let's read the verse together uh, from Judges chapter 16. Uh, there we read, So he told Delilah everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. Samson said, Because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, 
If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Well, this story is from the story and life of Samson, and Samson was a judge over Israel. And most of you, when I say a judge, you might think of someone who runs a court, wears a black robe, and, and bangs a gavel all day and makes decisions about the law. The judges in Israel were more uh, probably what we would think of in a general. They were leaders. They were military leaders, and they were the leader of their people uh, in the time before the kings. And so Samson, being one of those judges, was dedicated from his birth in something very special called a Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow is described, if you want to look it up in depth, in Numbers chapter 6, and it was a special vow of dedication uh, where a person was to not have a razor used on their head, uh, not consume uh, any drink or fruit from the vine, no grapes, no wine, anything like that, and not be around the dead, not to touch them or come around their presence. And so in that Nazarite vow, Samson was saying, I am, I am a special person dedicated in a special way to God. And what Delilah uh, as you read the story, was able to do was get him to use a razor on his head and all of a sudden his incredible strength that God had gifted him with uh, was gone. And that uh, becomes a sad tragedy of Samson's life. Uh, we can read Judges chapter 13 verses 3 through 5 together on the screen and learn about the beginning of Samson's life. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other un uh, fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never touched to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. So Samson had taken the Nazarite vow, and that's what it was, a special vow of dedication. A good question. All righty. Thank you. Uh, person wants to know about uh, forgiveness and how people in the Old Testament got saved. Good question. Jesus wasn't born in the time of Moses, so how were people in those days saved? Well, our viewers reasoning that we're saved by the blood of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of that. Well, if he wasn't around, how did anybody ever get saved back in the Old Testament? Uh, well, the answer is pretty clear in Romans uh, 4, 4, 3. Uh, let's look at that together. Uh, the, Paul said, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, so his belief in God, he had faith in God, he did what God told him, and that was credited as righteousness. Now you think about that, that's the same way we're saved by the blood of Christ. Uh, we trust in Jesus, we believe uh, that he is the Son of God, and that's credited to us as righteousness. Before he came, it was faith in God, what God said. Uh, now some people have a theory that uh, all those old Testament people were not totally forgiven until Jesus came along and paid the price and I understand that reasoning and uh, that's fine but they were still justified by faith and you read through Hebrews chapter 11 and you find all the Old Testament folks it says they believed God by faith they did something and when they did when they <coughs> obeyed God uh, showing that they believed in Him it was credited to them as righteousness. So they were saved by faith in God. Well, and that's the way we're saved. We're mm -hmm. saved by grace through faith uh, in Jesus. 
All right, time to invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We try to do that each week because we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ that uh, support us, and we like to mention a few of them each week. Uh, this week, let's mention a few in South Central Kansas, uh, the Church in Agra, and then uh, Augusta and Derby all have Churches of Christ that are interested in this program and help keep us on the air. And Augusta, Michael Harmon's the minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him speak. Uh, I visited out there just a few weeks ago, talked to them about Know Your Bible and what we're doing. And a great group of people. I know you'd be warmly welcomed there. And down in Derby, the church there, uh, Larry Scarth is a minister there. Also a great guy and a good preacher. I know you'd enjoy hearing him. So if you're looking for a church home, drop in on any Church of Christ. Uh, you'd be warmly welcomed and you'd find folks who uh, think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, I think we got time for one more maybe. Yes, a uh, viewer asked the question, <clears throat> in Second Samuel chapter 24, why was taking a census wrong? Uh, well, <clears throat> if you look specifically in the context of it, it's the most reasonable explanation to me is that David was putting his strength uh, in his armies and, and in, in the strength of himself and the chariots and the horses and the things that he had. A, a census was often taken in, in those days to sort of take a report of exactly how strong they were militarily and if they had the strength within themselves to go to battle with other enemies, uh, with other people. And, and uh, that was a common practice among kings and leaders <laughs> of the day. Uh, David was putting his trust in that instance in the wrong place. And let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 2 and 3 together. Um, so David said to Joab, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from, the, from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may they, the eyes of my lord the king see fit. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? So it's clear in this sense that even Joab, even the general and a friend of David uh, understood and knew that this was not a necessary thing and that David was putting his trust in the wrong place. So I believe that's the answer to why God viewed that as wrong. It's a good good question and insightful one from a, a, a clear Bible student there. So. All righty. Thank you, Toby, for the good answers today. And thank you, viewers, for your good questions. We don't have time to get another one in, but we'll be next, uh, next week. We'll be back with some more. Uh, we've got one next week coming up about turning the other cheek and the death penalty. How do those two go together? Uh, i got one about Halloween. Somebody wondering what we ought to think about Halloween from the Bible standard. Uh, one about being born again and one about polygamy. So those are just a few that we're going to tackle next week as we get back into your questions. So if those, any of those interest you, tune in. And if they don't, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, call that number on the screen or the web, use the website and get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. We gave you one at the start of the show uh, about a dream that Pharaoh had. How many cows were in Pharaoh's dream? Well, the answer is 14 to be total them all up. And the difference was seven of them were fat and seven of them were skinny. Uh, and no, none of uh, Pharaoh's wise men could understand that. He saw seven fat cows coming out of the Nile and then seven skinny cows followed them. And Joseph said, well, we're going to have seven real good years of harvest. And then it's going to get 
a famine. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a drought and we're not going to be able to raise any wheat. And uh, So that's when the skinny cows come in. So Joseph explained it to him and they planned ahead and they got through the famine just fine. All right, we're glad you've been with us this week. We hope you come back next week for more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Till then, we hope you have a blessed week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.